Our message today is called Love and Praise, Giving Myself Away. And I want to start with a question. I want to start with a question that most of us in this room have been asking in one shape or form as we watch our awesome free world begin to disappear. As sin becomes no longer sinful, as righteousness becomes whatever we choose it to be today, there are things which you need to choose. Like how do you want to be baptized? How do you want to take communion? How do you want to go to church? Where do you want to go to church? But eventually you need to commit to those things, right? And we cannot allow our world to twist righteousness into something it was never meant to be. Righteousness is not whatever I want it to be. No, it's the unchanging, life-giving word of God. That's what righteousness comes from. But our culture, righteousness now, now it's anything goes. All must accept. Any resistance is now seen as evil. An enemy on, you know, I want to identify as uh, six foot four and an Olympic athlete and royalty from England. So you will say, you will look up over my head and you'll say, well, God bless you, my highness. And if you don't say that, I will punish you because you're blaspheming my godhood because I will decide what righteousness is. That's what's happening all around us. So our starting question comes from the fact that we are now living out Isaiah 5, 20 through 21. Let's look at that before the question. It says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And they walk among us, by the way, even in Harlan, Iowa. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. The New Living Translation says that last one there, it says clever in their own sight. The smugness from the lost is nauseating to watch. So here's the question. Here's the question. How can we persuade a post-truth culture that Jesus is the truth we all need? How can we persuade a post-truth culture that Jesus is the truth we all need? Have you ever thought about it? I'm guessing most of us have, or we continue to ask, how do we do this? How do we roll in these times? Because we don't want to offend anybody for no other reason. You know, we just don't want to be, you know, staunchly just a jerk about things. But we have to set our face like flint, right? We have to stand on the truth. We have to have spines of steel. How do we do this? Well, it all starts by experiencing the Lord Jesus' grace and then responding with grateful service to our Lord and our neighbor. It also has a, we proclaim it, we don't debate it. God's word teaches we love because he first loved us. That's in 1 John 4, 19. The word because in that, 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 that uh, verse, it translates from the Greek word meaning since or as a result. Here we discover the simple fact that change in our lives and our culture comes from this, you ready? The more we experience the love of Jesus, the more our love for others will lead them to the Lord. You don't have to be a closer for Jesus. You proclaim it and the Holy Spirit does the closing. <laughs> you don't have to be a closer for Jesus. And this will be on video for you to slow down later. 
The more we experience the love of Jesus, the more our love for others will lead them to the Lord. We don't have to be a closer for Jesus. The Holy Spirit does it. So here's part two of this question, or an add-on question. Number two, when did the last, when, when last did the love of Christ change your life? When was the last time the love of Christ made an impact in what you, what you had going on? Part three of the same question. When last did you encounter the living Lord Jesus in a transforming way? Well, I got saved back in 1992. Great. What did he do for you yesterday? What about last week? I mean, when it was 20 below zero, me and the Lord had some chats. (laughs) And he reminded me I asked to come here. That's a whole nother story for another day. Maybe my video will be up there someday telling you about how God picked Harlan, Iowa. Well, let's, we're going to answer these questions over the next few minutes. And let's start with give yourself away for authentic kingdom purposes. And to do that, you have to have love and praise. Can't do it without it. Hey, I can build the nicest race car in the world, but if I don't have fresh tires and gasoline, that car ain't running to the front. That's a fact. Take your car to the racetrack and don't put any fuel in it and see how far you go. Love and praise is the fuel that gets us going. You gotta have love and praise. Now stay with me, okay? We have just come out of a season where we celebrated the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. Thank God he came the first time. He arrived the first advent. And every truth surrounding his first advent, I give praise for. His arrival, Christmas time. I praise God for the virgin birth. I praise God for his sinless life. I praise God for his teachings, his miracles, and his ministry. I praise God for his substitutionary death. He died in my place. I praise God for his victorious resurrection, and I praise God for his glorious ascension. The first arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ into this world was a time of amazing power, wonderful miracles, and astounding love and grace. In sending Jesus into the world, God accomplished salvation for all who will believe and receive. And then they have love and praise. In sending Jesus into the world, God demonstrated his love for a lost and dying world. In sending Jesus into the world, God completed his perfect and profound plan for salvation and redemption. And that's why most of us are here today. Thank God for all Jesus accomplished when he came the first time. But what does the scripture say? He went away. And Acts 1, 9 and 10 tells us about how the Lord Jesus ascended back into heaven, leaving his church here to preach the gospel to the lost. Not to debate them, but to proclaim it to the lost. And when he left his people here, he did not leave them without hope. He left them with the promise that he would return again. Acts 1, 11 says it straight up. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. That's a promise to hold on to. Now, listen to what the, now that was the angels talking to to the disciples. Let's, Let's look at what Jesus actually said the night before he went to the cross to die. And we could talk about this uh, tomorrow, 12.10, for those of you who don't know, every Monday at 12.10, right in here, we do what I call the scripture dig. You're like, well, I work, I can't make it. I'm sorry, there's some that don't work that can make it. 
And if you do have a, a, an office and you want to zoom in, we're gonna, we, we let you zoom in with us if something you want to do. But getting into God's word deeper for such a time as this, duh. So listen to what Jesus said the night before he went to the cross to die. It's in John 14, 1 and 3. If you're going to write anything down, write this one down. And look it up later in your devotional time. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room for you in my father's house. If this were not so, I would have told you that I'm going, you know, if this were not true, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Question mark. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I'm at. When we get one glimpse of the risen, glorified Savior, that's all we're going to want for eternity is to be in his presence. Yes, I'm going to see my father again, my dad. Yes, I'm going to see other relatives and so are you. But it's always going to be focused on Jesus. When I get this truth in my soul and I'm praising Jesus, I get, I get a little annoyed for, for those of us who have said something this stupid that I'm about to say, because some of us have said it. When I get to heaven, I'm gonna race Dale Earnhardt. No, you're not. When you get to heaven, the glorified Christ has prepared a place for you. And it's gonna be so awesome, nothing else is gonna matter. One glimpse of him and all trials, hardships, and suffering we've had on this earth will be worth it. That's how great our Lord and Savior really is. Even at the end of the Bible, as the book of Revelation closes, the Lord reaffirms his promise to his people that he will return again. Revelation 22, 20, second to last verse in the Bible. He says, he who is faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen, come Lord Jesus. Isn't that awesome? A lot of people have looked at the Lord's promise to return again and have determined that it's a lie. The Bible even warns us of these folks and we see them all around us today. 2 Peter 3, 3 through 4 says it. 2 Peter 3, 3 through 4. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. I have about, uh, I don't know, 150 minutes of discussion on that one verse, just with what we see in our society here today. Verse 4. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first recreated. The Bible tells us they're going to come with this argument. Regardless of the, what the world says or what unbelievers say, or even what people who profess Christ but don't have him say, the Lord is returning. The passage we have read gives us some details surrounding his return. So if we truly believe that Jesus is coming back to get us, we should be locked in and fully engaged in a couple of activities. That's the three points for the message today. What three things should we be about? Well, let's kick it off with point number one. We should be looking for him. We should be looking for him. Now, I'm gonna quote something from 2 Timothy chapter four here in just a second, but I wanna remind you, I've taught you this. 2 Timothy is Paul's farewell letter. Paul knows he's about to get his head chopped off. He's in a dungeon and he's saying his goodbyes. In the last chapter of 2 Timothy is chapter four, and I wanna look at verse eight. And as he's staring down the sword that's gonna end his life, he knew he had run a good race, he knew he had kept the faith, he knew he had fought the good fight, and he says this, 
And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And then the last line, don't miss this. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. It's a mark of a true believer is somebody who's looking for Jesus every day. I'm looking for him every day just to sustain me. But if we're all standing in front of him in 15 minutes, how much is that fill in the blank of your life really matters? Whatever you just thought of, that's your fill in the blank. Look, it is for me, it is for you, it's for all of us. The prize awaits us, the crown of righteousness. And his glory is gonna be so magnificent that the scriptures say we'll take our crown and we'll throw him at his feet because we know we didn't deserve it anyway. How does that fact alone not fire you up to love and praise with the time that we've got left? You know, I only have a couple TV shows I watch because content is so horrible nowadays, but that's not it. I just don't want to waste any more time, as little time as TV as I can. Sports and two shows. One of them is the show Survivor. It's heading into its 46th season. And every fall and every spring, a new season kicks off for over 23 years now. And what happens, if you don't know the show, 15 to 20 people who are willing to go to great lengths in an attempt to win a million bucks. During this journey, this competition, there are, you know, they're in the elements, they're denied good food, and they struggle to make fire to keep up their meager surroundings and survive. Now, they do this all while trying to not get voted off while attempting to build trust with a whole bunch of people that are all lying to them. I still, to this day, find it fascinating. My wife has checked out about 10, 15 years ago. She doesn't like it, the show at all. So I have to go down in the basement to watch it. It's just one of those things. When the show first came out, it was really popular, so we used to do Thursday night pizza and Survivor night with my kids. It was just a, it's just one of my great memories, so I've never let it go. It's always been a part of my life. But there's so much human condition going on in this show, that's why I like it. And I'll give you an example. In the middle of all this game of Survivor, they will offer up a reward challenge after a couple weeks on the, on the island. Now, you got about a dozen people left that haven't been voted off. They're malnourished people after a couple weeks. And they are about to do a challenge that will require incredible effort and focus. And the reward is usually some sort of nice dinner, like fried chicken or a cookout with hamburgers. This last season, they had pizza. That's what was offered. Now, the host, Jeff Probst, always ends the explanation of the challenge the same way. After explaining all the obstacles that must be overcome to win this reward, he says the same phrase every time. He says, worth playing for? And every time, the contestants can already taste the reward. They enthusiastically say, yes, 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 we'll play for this. And then you know what they do? They commence attacking these obstacles with all of their might, with everything they've got for a hamburger or a pizza. In that same spirit, let me ask you, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give you and me on that day of return, worth playing for? Understand this, and you will have 
everything. You get this, you have it all. Because of this, we move on to point number two today. We should be living like he might come at any time. We should be looking to his return. We should be living it out. 1 John 3, 3 in the NLT says this, and all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Now, how many of us are like me? Where when you see this, you're like, well, I guess that's good for other people, but I ain't never gonna make it. I just, I can't do it. I'm just not as pure as everybody else. Oh, way too many heads are nodding right now. No, see, what happens is this. You get to a place of really cool things happens to you. When you are living for Jesus, when you're looking for his return, when he's part of your daily existence, you cannot, you don't even want to take your next breath without him. You get to a place where you will choose not to sin. Not simply because of your circumstances or you don't want to disappoint a family member or a colleague. You will be convicted, listen now, you will be convicted not to sin in that way any longer because you don't want to sin against your God who has given you so much and who has promised you a crown of righteousness. You don't want to sin against your king. You will resist because you can no longer stomach sinning against your Lord. Even if it was habitual sin that you got rid of and then you fell back into it and now you're trying to get rid of it again, Jesus will still heal you. And the real rubber meets the road moment happens when you say, I am not going to do this anymore, Lord, because I don't want to sin against you. Then, like David, then... You become a person after God's own heart. Point number three, we should be loving the lost and preaching the gospel. Loving the lost and preaching the gospel. You know that in the scriptures it says that, you know, we're supposed to, you know, reach out to different folks and then there's others we're not even supposed to eat with them. Do you know who that is? Do you guys know the difference? We can eat with sinners like Jesus did, but he didn't leave them in their sin. But if you claim Christ and you're just a whack job, you don't believe in the Bible, and you want to twist Jesus into you and your own godhood, we're not even supposed to eat with those folks. Okay, there is a difference. It's called discernment. But we should be loving the lost and preaching the gospel. Mark 16, 15 says, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everybody. Do you see it? The best way we can love anyone is to simply share the joy of the Lord through the sharing of the gospel message. And we don't judge. You know, everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome here. You can come with your questions. You can come with your doubts. You know what we have for you? We have settled truth as our answer. And we want you to join that. Well, I will only come if you will acknowledge my doubts and lift me up and tell me I'm I'm a great doubter. Not going to happen. Not going to happen because that's not the word of God. That's not loving you. That's capitulating and bending a knee to you because you think you're your own God. Jesus is the Lord of my life. And the gospel message is is that while I'm yet a sinner, Jesus worked his way to me, plucked me off the salvage pile, redid me and made me into something that was useful. And if he can do it with me, he can do it with you. So I have committed my life to doing so in any and all ways God's allows. For me, I can only speak for myself, but it all starts and ends with me with a calling and an anointing that he put on me to be the senior pastor of Fresh Encounter Church. Everything I do comes from this spot. Everything must pass through that paradigm for me personally. What is it for you? But make no mistake about it. 
I will still do whatever I can to share the gospel, to speak the truth, and to be ready to help make anyone stronger, more convinced that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone the Lord sends our way, I will help in any way I possibly can. Does that mean broadcasting my sermons? Why not? Doing a talk show with my wife? Why not? Organizing conferences? Yes, sure. I will do anything that the Lord allows, but his calling is first and foremost a senior pastor of this church. What does that mean your responsibility is? Fill out a blue card, check FEC is my home church, and then pray for me, come alongside, and join me in whatever we got going on. And I'll join you with what you got going on. That's how it works. By the way, my wife has the same calling. To do all she can for Fresh Encounter Church as the pastor's wife while still reaching out with common sense, relatable sharing on whatever platform God provides. Turns out that's Fresh Road Media. No apology with Emily for now. Do you see it? This is what we do and why we do it. Even though it looks hopeless at times. Bring Al Robertson to Harlan. We'll sell out the church. Really? It ain't happening right now. We have a bigger audience right now than what we've got tickets sold. But it doesn't matter. Because the conference is going to be awesome. And we're being obedient to Jesus. And we're going to come and we're going to share what God has laid on our hearts. We're going to have a great time on Thursday night. Just a blast. On Friday, there's some deep things happening. Rod Rosenboom's going to share his testimony. I've heard Alan Lisa's, what they're going to be sharing on Friday and Saturday before. And I know it'll bless you. So it doesn't matter. Don't you see it? We will carry on because we are told by the Lord to carry on till he comes and gets us. Some stuff will be successful. Some stuff will be a failure. All of it, if it's committed to Jesus, is part of the crown of righteousness. If you're doing it with the right intention of your heart. So we wait. We look for his return. We push on with the task at hand. We go into all the world and preach the gospel. What if God wanted to use Harlan, Iowa as ground zero for a third great awakening across this country? I didn't say that. On Wednesday, driving to Thanksgiving with my daughter and my family, we all rallied at my daughter's house in Mississippi. I'm on the phone with Al Robertson doing this conference. And I'm paraphrasing, but he says, why wouldn't God start the great awakening out of Harlan, Iowa? get people to a higher ground. Half an hour later, 45 minutes later, it's a long drive, by the way, it's 13 hours. Talking to Brad Stein. And he says, unprovoked, he says, wouldn't it be cool if God started a third great awakening and a revival out of Harlan, Iowa? All right, I guess you're coming now too. That's all we're doing. See, the Spirit confirms it. And what we do is we set up an, an environment where we can then share the gospel truth. So why, what is it about you guys? What is it about Fresh Encounter Church and all the people you touch? Do you see it? There's something special. And it's not because you guys are that special. We can't say the weather here is any good. It's because Jesus has touched lives here, and you know it, and you're not afraid. God sent me here, no question about it. So I'm hat in hand saying, let's do this thing. 
See, the result is love. We go into all the world and preach the gospel. The result is love. And the true, fulfilling, spiritual love that comes from the Savior himself, we cannot conjure this up on our own. And then the Spirit confirms it. And then, you know what the benefit is on this side of eternity? You want to know? You want to hear what it is? It's well with you. It's well with you. C.S. Lewis wrote this. Love is not an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the person, for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be contained, obtained. I slaughtered that. Let me try that one more time. Love is not affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. When I see people, especially those who have a semblance of godliness, but they don't know Jesus, it's obvious by their own testimony. I love them and I want the best for them as much as it can be obtained. When people are lost and they're claiming atheist type things, I want the best for them. I love them. I want them as far as it can be obtained. Those of you who know Jesus Christ and you come to this church and you want to grow in your spirit, I must tell you the truth with love and praise because of that love, the ultimate good for you as it can be obtained comes from God's word more so than anything I can conjure up. See, that is our king towards us, each of us. By the way, the Lord sent an angel to announce his birth. He sent an angel to announce his resurrection. The Lord sent the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin and draw us to Jesus. But when he comes to collect his bride, he's rolling in himself. Ancient Jewish wedding custom. Oh, I wish I could take time and just lay it out for you. It takes too long. Let me paraphrase it for you today. The groom in ancient Jewish custom goes to prepare a place for them. They start out by having vows underneath this Jewish name thing that I can't think of right now. Yeah, we'll go with that. And, <laughs> and when they make this vows, they separate. They don't, they're, they're, they're married, but they're not officially married yet. And the groom goes to prepare a place for them. And the bride is to prep and be ready with no clue what day the groom is coming for, but she's supposed to be ready. This was what had happened with Mary and Joseph, why he wanted to quietly divorce her even though they weren't married and had consummated the relationship. Okay, so the groom is gonna go away. What is the custom? Customarily, it's approximately a year. And so do you know who decided the time of waiting was over and that the groom should go get his bride? It was the father of the groom. Once he felt all was prepared for the new couple, he would send his son to go get her. Do you see it? Any minute, God's gonna tell Jesus it's ready. Go get him. And then many of us in this room, we're gonna be going to that wedding in the air. That sounds exciting to me. Worth playing for? Let's bring it home. Revelation 19. Verses 9 through 16. And I can't say it any better than this, so we're just going to get into God's word and read this to the conclusion today. Revelation 19, 9 through 16. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. 
Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said, no, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God. For the essence of prophecy is to give clear witness for Jesus. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dripped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest pure white linen, followed him on white horses. You and I, some of us, were going to be in that mounted posse. And from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe at his thigh was written this title. King of all kings. And Lord of all lords. He's returning. Are you ready? If you are, then rejoice and praise him. And if not, come to him and be saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being with us today. Lord, we love you as our King of kings and as our Lord of lords. And we are so unworthy so much of the time. But you start a good work in us and you're faithful and true to complete that work. You're faithful and true to take us to that next level of our spiritual journey. You're faithful and true to give us spines of steel where we will proclaim your truth without debate because we know what we know is true because you first loved us. Lord, if anyone here is being convicted by you that they need to meet you, please prompt them to come see me or one of the elders after the church service and we will lead them, we'll introduce them to you. Jesus, we just love you and thank you and praise you. And Jesus, it's your name that's above every name. We pray this prayer. Amen. Salvaged by God is the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Danielson out of Fresh Encounter Church in Harlan, Iowa. For more of Chris's teaching and a couple podcasts you might like, go to freshroadmedia.com.